This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance that you love Star Wars. Well, I love it too. And I've always wanted to tell my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about Skywalkers and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots on the ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud 79 is all about. If you are new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode 12, Fire and Mud. Camp Vibus attacked, and not by a random collection of raiders throwing their lives away, but a well-coordinated enemy strike with impeccable timing opening fire when most of the would-be defenders have abandoned their post to assist in a large-scale assault to the south. Private Squai and Mondahai join the remaining Imperials in a desperate stand. Who are the raiders attacking Vibus? How did a military faction this well-equipped get a foothold on Sestin IV? And what's waiting for Mondi and Quai when they make it over Camp Vibus's walls? Let's find out. Now all we needed to do was turn back a massive, well-coordinated enemy attack. I dropped the rocket launcher and collapsed onto the muddy snow near the camp wall. Mondahai scanned the river behind me with her A-280. The enemy fighter hit the ice, and it fragmented the nearby section, freezing cold water sloshed up and around, coming over the ice. No one's following us. We should get over the wall. As the surge of blood in my veins slowed down, I heard the chaos inside the camp. Things were heating up. Shouting, screams, steady blaster fire. A never-ending mix of bolts and explosions. I pushed aside the nagging thoughts about what was waiting for us within the camp and started running again. My lungs filled up with cold air, tinged with that ozone smell of heavy combat plasma weapons. The two of us made our way along the perimeter. Sections of the defensive works were under repair, and we planned on sneaking through an unprotected spot. But we didn't need to. Near the southern tip of the island, we came across a mid-sized hauler that had crashed into the wall and tore part of it down. It must have been on approach when it got hit. Its hull was ten meters high and about thirty long and it slid through the duracrete like a hot knife through butter. I remembered building that wall months ago. The side door of the ship faced us, and we saw the cargo bay was empty. No one seemed to be there, but as we got closer to the breach, we saw lights and 
flashes as blaster bolts flew back and forth. The bandits were being held by our forces as they tried to break in, held down in a few spots around the nose of the freighter. From where we stood, it was impossible to count all of them. Angles were all wrong. Things like this made me nervous. The LT beat it into our heads to never go in blind, which is exactly what we were doing. I clipped the RPS-8 onto my back and raised my rifle. We were making our way forward, trying to minimize our exposure, but still get a view inside the breach. I caught a glimpse of someone huddled behind a collapsed portion of the wall, and then there was a shout coming from inside the freighter. I didn't make out what they said, just yelling, followed by a few shots. I spun as Mondi opened fire. She didn't hit anything. They're on the right side. Slipped into a hallway or something. Keep them down. While I shot, she pulled out a detonator and tossed it inside. It bounced off the hard metal flooring, away from her target, then went off inside the cargo bay, spraying bits of frag in our direction. I dropped. Then on cue, that asshole stepped out of the hallway again, but I was lined up and waiting. Hit him with my first shot. Missed the other two. We both pulled out fresh detonators and rounded wide near the breach. As we got close, friendly fire whipped by ahead of us. I got low, peered around the corner. The huddled figure I'd seen earlier was crouched behind a broken chunk of duracrete with two others. They were well defended, and it was impossible for our people to hit them. This transport was probably shot down as it was on its way to the Kenyan warehouse to help clean it out, and now these guys were just stirring shit and tying up our defenders. There weren't many of us left, but we were holding our ground in some blast craters up ahead. No telling how many of these assholes had killed already. The distance between us and the enemy position wasn't overly long. We could make that throw with a standard detonator. It was a stretch, but doable. I rounded the corner when I felt like there was a lull in fire and stepped into the throw. As soon as I let it go, I saw more bolts coming at me. Our troopers must have thought I was the enemy. I hit the deck and awkwardly pulled my rifle in front of me. I needed to get in line for a shot. The detonator bounced and landed a few feet short of the target, off to the side. Mondi's didn't make it as far, but it was straighter. One of the raiders turned and lunged for the explosives. They didn't make it. I saw their face light up when the detonator blew. It was in slow motion. They were Verk, those big eyes opening wide. Then the whole position was smoke. I fired into the settling dust and debris as Mondahai ran past, letting loose on the trigger. I followed as best I could, but the rocket launcher was heavy and it banged against the back of my leg. I tried to sort of slide along the mud and snow and get into cover next to Mondi, but it didn't work and I flopped over, my face going right into the duracrete. My cheek was scraped and bleeding. Our allies weren't shooting in our direction anymore. They must have realized what side we were on, and we were able to get a much better view on what was happening. This choke point was the rear cover for two groups of advancing raiders. They were huddled near two blown-down speeders to the left and a secondary position behind a shot-up TIE fighter. They had numbers, and there were lots of bodies in gray ahead. 
These assholes had three loader droids, which stood seven feet tall. Took a few well-aimed shots to put one of those down. It was a strange moment. I was looking at my fellow troopers dead on the ground, and it didn't mean anything. Not emotionally. There is a disconnect when you're in a firefight. I've mentioned before how combat is just a constant flow of stimulus. This was like that to a higher degree. It wasn't one firefight. I knew enough to see that this was only the beginning, and those bodies couldn't help me right now. I needed to focus on what could. I was running a numbers game in my head. They were gone. That's all that registered. I could hear the LT talking in the back of my head. Well, soldier, what you gonna do about it? I'm gonna kill the enemy, sir. Good. Now get it done. I swung the RPS down and told Mondi I was gonna tap the group of bandits behind the speeders. She just needed to hold down the others. The RPS primed up and I popped over the top. The rocket traveled 20 meters and turned the bandits into a fine mist. The speeders sent out blue huge shockwaves as the repulsor lifts shorted out and exploded. It must have been confusing for the defenders to see something like that. I started laughing as bits of stone and gravel flew around us. There were still a few detonators on my webbing, so I pulled one off and primed it, tossed it blindly towards the TIE fighters and counted down the seconds. When it went off, I hopped up and aimed at that second group of raiders. Monty got up too. She advanced, preparing to throw another grenade. I didn't slow down my fire until it blasted. She took over. I reached for another detonator when she yelled that the target was already down. We both closed in fast, fearful that they'd be up and shooting again. This is when I missed Staven the most, when I needed luck. They weren't moving, though. Those grenades got him, and there wasn't much left. The defenders were getting out from behind cover and calling over to us. Some were moving in our direction, maybe a dozen. They scrambled towards the downed bodies, checking to see who was still breathing. They had that look of first-timers. This was new to them. They were jerky and panicked. The one in charge came straight for me, one hand in the air and a weapon trained. I called and waved, then jogged over. Who are you guys? Where'd you come from? I explained that we were on the range when the attack began. The bandits were trying to loot the secondary ammo stores. We fought them off, neutralizing their landing craft, and that answered the colonel's call to arms. I'd seen this guy around base a few times, but I couldn't place him. One of his crew came over and gave us water. I took it down and realized how hard I was breathing. This was my first real break since the attack began. My legs were already sore and I noticed a cramp in my side. The two of them began tallying the wounded, opting to carry anyone still breathing inside the closest building and administer first aid. I could still see heavy fighting on the north portion of the island where the storage buildings were. There were buildings in the way, so it was impossible to know exactly what was going on. But I was getting antsy, like I needed to be there. The LT saying I wasn't in any condition to join the rest of the platoon on the op replayed in my mind. I wanted to prove him wrong. I wanted for him to see the report and apologize for ever doubting me. We've been monitoring the comms traffic, and there's some heavy fighting over by the admin building. Heard the colonel was there. 
Sounds like they're raiding the main armory and trying to free prisoners. My sudden surge of gusto came to a temporary halt. I imagined the type of bandits that would try and attack the main admin facility, raiding our armory. They were either suicidal or tactical geniuses. Neither trait was what I would want in an opponent. The armory alone was a well-defended facility, mostly underground, situated next to the main admin building and far more fortified. It was designed to be the last holdout in case of a siege. The idea of those weapons falling into the wrong hands was infuriating. You could equip a few thousand soldiers with what we had in there. The shit they'd stir up. It'd be on a massive scale. Then there was the brig. How many prisoners did we have in there? I didn't even know. And would they be in any condition to fight? I was watching the corporal sip from his water. Then I heard the whirring of arc engines. Training just kicked in and we ran for cover. Hunched and ran like insects scurrying from a lamplight. Just in time, heavy cannon fire came down from overhead. Arc 170s, two of them. These assholes controlled our airspace? How in the hell was this happening? Where was our support? If we fired off a distress signal, they should have been here by now. I remember feeling like I was going down steps and every drop was worse. The severity of what was happening was missed on me at the time because I was too busy trying to live. That ARC-170 was going to make getting to the admin building incredibly difficult. As the assholes in the sky kept swooping and taking pot shots, we yelled back and forth, divvying up who would go where. We just needed to get to that building. Some of these guys would stay behind, secure the enemy freighter, and tend to the wounded while the rest of us made for the prison and armory. Then we scattered, running in different directions, hoping the pilots would avoid us. Mondi bolted with a few others, making for the barracks. They'd offer plenty of cover. It was smart. The Ark didn't even shoot. It came in at a rough angle and had to bank off to the side and make another pass. The pilot's next approach was spot on. A missile hit a few feet from the corporal and just blew him apart. I saw it as I ran past. Just keep going, I told myself. Just keep going. I focused on the footfalls, what I was trying to avoid, debris on the ground. I sprinted in the same direction as Mondi, hoping to find her. It was towards the rows of barracks buildings. They were close together and the high walls created canyons. That made avoiding the aerial predators a lot easier. The downside was the high Duracrete surfaces played with the sound. You couldn't tell where they were. The sound of engines and heavy fire bounced everywhere, even with the snow. I saw bodies slumped up against the walls. More troopers with dazed looks on their faces. They would ask me what was happening, everyone desperate for information. I stopped at a barracks that was well shielded from the enemy, and those who were able gathered around me. I told them everything I could, that we were needed at the admin building, that's where the heaviest fighting was going down. I started giving orders to soldiers who were the same rank as me, or higher, telling them that if they didn't have a weapon, they needed to start gathering wounded, help in any way they could. I asked about Mondi. Some of them knew who she was, but no one had seen her. I put it aside, feigned positivity. 
I needed these guys to believe that we had a chance. If we were gonna survive, we'd need numbers. It was imperative that I got as many of us to the admin building as possible. That's what Orto would have done, so that's what I did. These guys were pretty stunned. They glanced around with darting eyes and weren't speaking much. They needed something to keep them from cracking. I just told them what they wanted to hear, that the Empire was coming to save the day. We had a hodgepodge of small arms, rifles, pistols, a few dozen detonators. Found a lot of comms units, too. Chatter was all over. We moved in and out of the buildings, trying to stay as hidden as possible. We came to a stop beside the parade square. From there, it was a straight shot to the admin building. The issue was that it was a wide-open killing ground for those ARC-170s. Wouldn't have been shocked if they had some snipers up on the rooftops, either. That's what I would have done. Make the whole base a killing ground. This one guy with a helmet that was way too big for him tried to step out. I grabbed his back, pointing out where there might be shooters. The enemy had definitely been busy. The parade ground was covered with impact craters and divots from heavy fire. Blown out speeders. It was a mess. Bodies were strewn all over. Gray bodies. We were getting butchered. I marveled at what they were doing, though. These Kenyan raiders. And I was playing back the enemy we'd encountered in the bush and on the dock. The way some of them were so well-trained and equipped and that ARC-170 in the sky. The weapons. This was all Republic gear. I was suddenly more careful, hesitant even if I didn't know why. We should make a run for it. Wait for the arcs to pass by and then get to the stands. She pointed at the now obliterated seating structure used for spectators at parades and formal inspections. It would offer some decent ground level cover, but the angle was all wrong. We'd still be vulnerable to an air attack and from that position advancing into the melee near the armory would be in the open. There would be no cover. I said we should loop around. It would take longer, but we'd be able to use the speeder repair bays as cover. It was safer. The shuttle pool? You want to just try and sneak in? That'll take too long. We need to get there now. If these assholes breach the armory, do you know what that looks like? We'll have hotspots and flyouts every day. No, we go. Now. I didn't have rank, so I couldn't order her to do as I said, but I knew she was wrong that this was a bad idea. I said so. I said it was a poor tactical decision, and she wasn't listening. I hammered down again, and she wasn't budging, insisting that the colonel needed us immediately. I said I was going through the shuttle pool, and that was final. Anyone who wanted to come with me was more than welcome. I was surprised at how calm I was when I said it. I broke from the group with more than half of them at my side, and that made me feel good, confident in my decision. I gave the others one last chance before moving on, and a few more stragglers tailed along behind us. We backtracked for a few minutes, weaving through the barracks again and just past the junior ranks mess hall. Then we peered in through the windows, moved inside and took another quick look for weapons and ammo, whatever we could find, and never really slowing down, spot checking every opening. We could hear the arcs swooping overhead, that engine roar echoing along the walls, Then I heard them open up behind us. The sound of heavy fire screaming down from the sky. They were firing at the parade square. I just hoped our people survived. 
but round after round, that arc was really letting loose, swooping back and forth. Didn't have time to dwell though, we still had some distance to cover. The shuttle pool was ahead, a quick dash across two supply roads. No significant cover, and just beyond that was the admin building, with the din of heavy fighting. Hopefully we'd arrive in time to make a difference. We ran at a full sprint, filled with the same will to fight. Our home was under attack. This would not stand. It was a very different feeling than being out on patrol and coming under fire. Out there, if you take heat, you have the option of retreating, just running away and coming back later. Now, we were at someone else's mercy, and that changed everything for me. None of us wanted to die, so we would make them leave. The first one to reach the door tried to pull it open and had to slow down as we all huddled around them. Back off! Give me some fucking room, man! The second the door opened, we were met with intense blaster fire. Two of us were hit, actually. One took a bolt right in the chest. The armor was singed and cracked. They fell back and hit their head on the ground. The weapon firing was imperial. You could tell by the sound and color. Don't shoot! Don't shoot! We're friendly! There was a silence coming from inside. I know it was only a second, but it felt like a long time. We were a beautiful target if that ARC-170 came back. A single missile would have killed us all. You Imperial? Yes! Let us in for fuck's sakes! There's an ARC-170 out here! Holding fire! Come in with your hands up! Weapons high! We didn't think about the consequences. It was just safer than being trapped on the outside. So we dragged our asses in. The shuttle pool had that oily smell of a mechanic bay. Lubricants and fuels and barrels leaking chems into the air. It was dimly lit, only half the lights were on. Speeders and small shuttlecrafts up on hoists lining the walls. A Twi'lek in grimy overalls emerged from a speeder to our front and left. She had a relieved expression. And after her, we saw a human emerge from the other side. He had an RPS-6 over his shoulder. These two would have killed the lot of us. Maybe even brought the building down. Where are you guys coming from? Her name was Imani. She was a mechanic that had come in with the latest rotation. She gave us a bit more intel. Situation was bad. The bandits split up into two attacking forces. The larger targeted the Kenyan stores. When they landed and came under fire, a smaller group on light speeders took off through the base, causing havoc, eventually hitting the admin building. When the colonel realized they were after the weapons in the armory, she called for as many troopers to come as possible. The Kenyan was just a resource, a raw material. The weapons, ammunition, that was a big problem. It needed to be defended. Imani was giving me the lowdown when her radio cracked. Where are you two? We're coming, Colonel. We just found more survivors. Are they in any condition to help? Yes, sir. Then bring them back with you. Hold them down! Behind that berm! Focus your fire! Those of us with comm units patched into the colonel's channel. The CO was doing her best to prevent the bandits from breaching the stockade and armory. She had a good spot with close to 50 troopers and was holding her own, but the enemy was taking full advantage of their air assets and was making it hard for her to do anything aside from maintain a static defense. But she was in it. They're reaching the door. Light up that speeder. They're using it as cover. Don't stop firing. 
She'd sent these two, Imani, the Twi'lek mechanic, and her RPS packing companion, back to the shuttle bay to find any heavy weapons to assist in the defense. They were firing up a Seraph-class speeder with two mounted E-webs on the back when one of the soldiers with us piped up. You know there's a saber in the next bay. One of the gravelists is at 50%, but it's mobile and the main cannons work. That was the best news we'd had in a while. A tank. It had heavy guns that could handle those arcs in the air and rip into any raiders trying to build up a defendable position. Do you know how to drive it? Yeah, I mean, I've co-piloted a few runs, but I should be able to figure it out. Before leaving, we searched the bay, found some ammunition, and loaded up with detonators we'd found in a crate, along with some extra bits of armor. We left our two injured behind. Every breath looked like an effort from these two. I gave them some pills for my webbing. Wished them well as we took off. The route to the second bay took us back outside. These buildings weren't connected. We needed to cross in the open to get to that tank. As soon as the door was popped, we heard the arc above us. I hadn't even scanned for it when the guns tore into the asphalt all around us. One of the shots ripped up a big chunk of paving and it hit one of our guys in the leg. I heard it snap. They collapsed and another trooper grabbed them by their webbing and started hauling them along with their leg dangling behind. And the wound was leaving a trail of blood. You could see it in the fringes of the non-melted snow. We were gonna be leaving them behind. We breached the second bay, kicking the door open and taking control of the room. As soon as it was secure, we brought in our wounded and patched up his leg as best we could. He'd make it. I told myself that repeatedly. He'd make it. We moved fast, guns high, scanning every corner, moving in behind things that could have served as cover. Someone flicked on the main lights. There was the tank over in the corner. Had some burn marks, but it looked pretty good. I felt better just seeing it. The track lighting up in the ceiling gave it this mean look. Those things were intimidating. The tanker clambered up onto the deck and popped open the hatch before climbing in. A few seconds later, the grav lifts kicked in and it came up off the ground. That sound, it was magic. The right side was drooping a bit, almost pulsating up and down as the lifts lost and regained power. Then he popped his head out. You! He looked at the mechanic. I want you as my co-pilot. You'll have a better idea of what these gauges are saying than any of these assholes. Anyone have experience with turbo lasers? A hand shot up. I was a Navy cadet on a frigate back home. I shot the turbo lasers. That'll do. Get in. The scopes are the same. He looked at me. Just stay behind us and give us room if we need to strafe on the fly. This guy was planning on doing some fancy piloting. I formed our troops up in files behind the tank, giving it a good distance. I didn't want anyone getting cooked when those engines flared up. He dropped back inside along with the other two. The hatch latched closed, and a few seconds later, the beam cannon on the top swiveled around. It was a KB-50, and those things did damage. Slow rate of fire, but it was a sustained blast that lasted a second or two, and would be more than enough to take down one of those ARC-170s that were flying around the base, ripping us to pieces. We hit the release on the bay door, and we moved onto either side as the tank came forward. This was it. We were moving on the enemy. I offered a stick to the guy next to me. He said he didn't smoke. I told him to take one anyways, just in case he decided to start. 
The tank hovered past and we followed, low and slow, rifles in hand, the sounds of combat in the distance, a lot of heavy weapons fire. The tank jerked to a stop and we all dropped to one knee. The noise from the grav lifts prevented us from hearing the arc coming in the air for a pass. It fired a heavy stream of lasers and some of them hit the front left grav lift. Then the saber's beam cannon returned fire. It was a fraction late. The beam passed just behind one of the wings. The tank spun back into the side and the beam cannon fired again. It sliced upwards along the arc's right wing foils, slicing the top one clean off. The arc dropped into a spin. Looked like it had hit the water, but it recovered, taking off with a streak of dark smoke, low at first, then pulling back up as it scurried off into the distance. We cheered, forgetting this was just the beginning. The radio crackled with the colonel's voice again. Hey, Monty, where are you? We need support now. The tank moved forward the engines melting snow as it passed overhead. We followed behind in our two files at a half jog. One tank and around 20 soldiers. This was the colonel's relief force. The fighting was closer as we approached the admin building. I could see the smoke, feel the heavy weapons fire. The vibrations shook the ground. With the falling snow and poor visibility, the structure was just this imposing mass of gloom. There was a faint smell of burning, ozone, that electric tingle of fresh blaster discharge. We were close enough that we could see blaster fire above the admin building's exterior wall. There were enemy units, or ours, up on the roof. We were still too far away to get a good look, and I couldn't see more than a few hundred meters ahead. I swallowed the lump in my throat and kept moving forward, slowly and carefully. A shot from a slug thrower zipped right past me, hitting a trooper behind me. The slug itself passed through her chest and ripped into the guy at her rear. She was dead instantly. Her chest plate had a fist-sized hole in it, and her back was torn wide. She slammed into the ground and slid back. Get down, I yelled. Everyone dropped, scrambled, looking for cover. I tucked in behind the saber, hoping it wouldn't rush forward. I'd wind up with some nasty burns if those thrusters kicked in. I peered around the side, trying to figure out where the shot came from. I knew they must have been higher than us. That's all I could figure out. Maybe the roof of the admin building, shooting over the perimeter wall? That felt like the only angle that worked. I looked down again at the guy coughing up blood on the ground. He had his wind again and was yelling for a medic, that desperate need to live. I was trying to focus. Fear is contagious. It tugs on the corner of your mind and rips you apart. Then it gets you killed. Another slug pinged off the side of the tank. I now had a better idea where the shooter was. Then those side cannons on the saber came to life, sputtering hot waves of green plasma all over the section of the roof I'd been looking at. Duracrete was flying everywhere, the dust and ash mixing with the whirling snow. Then the guns cooled, and we held for a second. It was silence. That sniper was dead, holding off. Either way, I yelled at the closest trooper to get our wounded comrade back to the tank bay. Then we formed up in files behind the saber again, as the radio crackled. Is that you and the saber? Yes, sir. We've got a few troopers with us. We're going to move in and buy them cover to reach you. 
Our pack kept moving forward. I was getting my bearings now and could trace the arcs of blaster fire. Figured out the enemy was ahead and to the right, and the colonel was held down somewhere to the left. The admin building's wall was in the way, but I knew there was a lot of fire. It was a constant stream of blasters and screams, deafening to the point of insanity. Without warning, the tank opened up again, blasting a gap in the wall before speeding through and spinning to the right. Its main cannons lit up, and the beam cannon gouged lines into the crumbled sections of the admin building the enemy was using as cover. I waved the soldiers forward, then ran myself, shouting as we went. Keep moving! Don't stop! I slipped on the wet duracrete, but kept going. The colonel was held up in the security checkpoint by the main gate. The position had taken a beating. There was a blown energy cell from an e-web with splintered bodies in front of it. And no matter how bad it looked, our people were still fighting. And it made me proud. We would not break. We were the Empire. I don't think I'd ever run harder than I did trying to reach the Colonel's position. I hopped into the low trench surrounding the checkpoint and landed on a mangled body. I didn't even have time to register it. I heard Colonel Gast barking orders and scrambled through the wounded into the concrete pillbox. She was caked with ash and mud. Her uniform was soaked and she was holding a C7. There was a blood-soaked bandage being wrapped around her thigh. She took a deep breath and looked right at me. Why? How many did you bring? I stammered because I didn't know how many of us had made it past the wall, then shot back with around 20, maybe 15. That'll be enough. We're retaking the armory. Worst case, we blow it. Do you understand? The medic tied off her bandage, which was already soaked, then sprayed it down with foam. The colonel winced, then shot meds into her own neck. The needle was still in there when she came towards me. Two E-17 pistols were strapped onto her torso plate, and she was one-handing a C-7. She spoke into her comms unit again. Imani, you keep them tucked in until I make it inside the building. She led me to the trench closest to the admin building and began rallying the new faces around her as we stooped for cover. The entrance she was taking us to was 50 meters away, And judging from the amount of bodies en route, this wasn't the first time they'd made an attempt to get back in. Some of those less fortunate were squirming in the snow, bleeding out and screaming for help. The enemy position opened fire again as our tank slowed its rate of fire. Then the saber drifted back through the hole we'd come from, and suddenly our entire position was under a wave of green blaster bolts. The colonel looked at me, her helmet just revealing her eyes. She smirked at me with this crazed intensity. I couldn't tell if she was laughing because it was just too loud. But then, and I don't know if this is just my memory playing tricks on me, but I can remember hearing the tank's KB-50 beam cannon come to life and cut that enemy position to pieces. They weren't shooting anymore. And when those guns went dark... The colonel was up. She went over the top of the trench, and we all followed. Don't stop until we reach the door. I was right behind her when a slug went clean through her torso. 
She flopped to the side, and I ran past. I kept running. I was almost halfway. I was going to make it. Then a massive explosion made my feet stutter. I tripped and slid forward, skinning my knuckles on the duracrete. I rolled and saw lines of bright plasma coming at me from another ARC-170. They still had air support. I tucked as it skimmed the ground and pulled up. Its missiles had crippled the tank, which was now grounded, taking constant shots from a well-defended enemy position. Without the tank's heavy guns, we did not have the firepower to hold them. There were too many of them, and they were too good. The enemy then fired rockets. They had multiple RPSs, one after another after another. I got up and tried to run because the others were passing me by. The sound of explosions was deafening, and my lungs felt the impacts of the rockets hitting the tank's armor. I'd only taken three or four awkward steps when I saw movement inside the door. I knew that whoever it was was not with us. I just knew. I saw a small impact crater just to the left, a shallow, torn-up skid mark along some decorative plants, a spot meant to be a garden one day, now a scattered mess of debris and blaster impacts. I dove for it, landing short, then crawling as low as I could, while a Z-6 autocannon ignited in the doorway. The troopers ahead of me were caught. So close together, so committed to their route, they were cut to pieces. I saw one of them writhing on the ground after the initial torrent, but then that figure in the door fired again into the wounded. I closed my eyes, waiting for the sound of that heavy repeater to stop. Then I heard the tank explode, and then the rocket fire began focusing in on the checkpoint. The bunker structure held, but anyone trapped inside wouldn't last much longer. There'd be no escape for them. The concussion from those blasts would blow their ears, maybe their lungs, turn their brains to stew. There's only so much the body can take. The admin building was taken, there was no doubt. They must have breached the armory, that's where they got all this sudden firepower. But maybe, just maybe, I could still make it inside, run through the halls like a shadow and take it back, toss in a few detonators, bring the assholes down with me. That's what I wanted to do for my name to live on in some medal ceremony. But my courage melted when I saw what came out of that door. It was a clone trooper in phase three armor. Commando armor, but different, modified, painted and battered. They held that Z6 like a toy. Then I had this moment where I thought, oh, maybe they're with us, but no. Beside him came three others wearing piecemeal plating over duraweave jumpsuits. They didn't have the armor, but you knew they were business, professionals. A lot of them just went to work on the checkpoint, targeting the front trench, anyone still moving. The plasma skimmed right past me and I laid still, pretended I was dead. I would be soon anyways. At that moment, I wanted to go to sleep. I had this sense of finality. This was it. We lost. The bandits who brought down the tank leapt forward, coming out of their positions. Vague figures shrouded in gray. One of them wearing a recon commander's comma. 
the ornamental skirting given to the officers of advanced recon commandos, the most lethal breed of clones. Who were these guys? But then I saw something above, something cutting through the snowfall. A streak, then a red flash as something ignited 20 meters in the air. The Inquisitor. The Theta class released a volley from its cannons at the Arc 170. It banked and fled. The Theta class pursued. As Tiberia leapt from the open boarding ramp, her Inquisitor saber glowing red and whirling, spinning as she descended. I don't think all of them realized what was happening. She was still mid-air and used the force to pull the blaster rifles from their hands, throwing them towards the checkpoint. Then she landed just ahead of them, whirlwind of power. The bright red blade cut them apart, slammed one body into another, limbs flying, screams. She was relentless as she elegantly, effortlessly danced through their attacks, sidestepping and spinning, the saber always where it needed to be. The commandos just fell back unfazed. Those who lost their rifles grabbed others from the fallen and took cover in the rubble. She moved so fast, it was hard to track her movements. The Inquisitor was a storm blowing out their fire. Then all at once, they stopped shooting. Tiberia stood in the center ground. She was breathing deep, holding a pose, like a pillar of death looming over the fallen. You finally came. The guy with the comma leapt out from the far side of the blown-out saber. His armor was highly modified, decorated. It dripped aggression. But it was the body beneath that brought it to life. He was tall, proud, moved like a stalking lothwolf, bounding through the debris, stooping low and leaping high. A complete disregard for whatever danger the Inquisitor may have posed. And there was something in his hand. A blade shot out, flickering green. A lightsaber. The Inquisitor whirled her double saber slowly, like a child playing with a piece of rope as she turned towards him, taunting. This clone was her plaything. That isn't yours, traitor. No, it isn't. I took it from the hands of a 13-year-old Padawan named Yevi Martok. I hunted her down and shot her in the head because of a chip your emperor put in my skull. He betrayed the Republic and used us as his personal assassins. That's not what we were made for. We were meant to defend the Republic, not install a puppet dictator. He raised his pistol while stepping back, a singular motion. She moved in, but as she shifted her saber, the enemy bore down on her with blasters. She channeled the enemy fire, reflecting it back, strategically. She maintained her defense, dodging continuous fire, then shifted the upper blade enough to block a stroke of the commando's lightsaber. She whipped the saber around in a slash and the commando slid back. He aimed his pistol again, but with a wave of her hand, She used the force to knock it to the side. It spun away, clanging off the burning tank. In the instant her focus shifted, a bolt found its way through the defenses and grazed her arm. Her whole body spasmed with the shot. Laser fire was constant, 
No matter how many of them she put down, there were more, and they were relentless. The two sabers cracked again, and he kicked the outside of her knee. It buckled for an instant, and she smashed her forehead directly into his face. I was surprised the helmet's plating didn't collapse with the force of the impact. She was hit again in the upper shoulder, and she erupted with a shockwave of energy, throwing the commando four or five meters into the air. He dropped like a stone, but rolled backward on impact. He threw his helmet to the side. That face, it was just like Orto's. The same face, only bearded. But those eyes. I expected to see a sense of fear, of realization that he was more than outmatched, but he wasn't. He was fully committed to bringing her down. The Inquisitor shifted her tactics and turned on those with the blasters with such accuracy that three more of them fell. I saw. Then I heard that Z6 go live again. I saw her shift, preparing to change her strategy amid the torrent of fire. But she was hit again, and a shot sliced her just below the ribcage. I saw my rifle, and I pulled it over slowly, not wanting to attract any attention. The Inquisitor was once again elegant, regaining that lethal grace, parrying the commando's lightsaber, her skill with the blade far exceeding her opponent's. But he wasn't alone, and time and time again something would slip past. Another graze, a a minor wound. She couldn't kill them fast enough. More enemy fire, and again she flowed like silk in a breeze. Like this was just a dance. But the exhaustion was slowly weighing her down. That once fine edge of her movement was dull. A bolt hit her foot just as she dropped into position to lunge forward. It was ill-timed. Her leg gave out under her and she was off balance. The commando pounced, his emerald green saber slicing through her torso. The Inquisitor crumpled in a heap. Her saber went out. The dance was over. I laid in the ditch, rifle in hand, frozen. The laser fire in the distance, barely a ripple. The snow muffling even the crackling of the large fires burning within the Inmin building. It was quiet, peaceful, despite my terror. The other commandos joined their leader. I was motionless until one of them came into my sight line and I drew my rifle on them. I was about to prime the weapon when I was hit. Then someone leapt onto my back, crushing me into the ground. I was being suffocated, drowned in the mud. I squirmed, the pulsating pain climbing up my leg into my stomach. Air, I needed to breathe. I was going to die. Then I was pulled up and the crisp air flooded my lungs. I breathed deep as if for the first time. The relief was met by a savage beating. Blow after blow, kick after kick. I was being torn apart. Then it just stopped. How many more of you are there? I couldn't understand what she was saying. She was speaking to me, but it was all so far away. I focused on the A280 she had lined on my face. How many more of you were in the bunker? Tell me. I mumbled a response that they were probably dead. All I could see was the rifle in my face, and I was terrified. She looked over at a squad of her men who were glaring down at me, then nudged towards the checkpoint with her chin. 
They got into position around the entrances and breached, just like we did. I looked back at the rifle, then at her uniform, the markings, anything to identify who she was. If one of them comes out with even a scratch, I'll end you right here. I'll do it slow, let you bleed out, watch your precious Imperial footprint burn. There was an insignia, part of a shoulder badge. It was a, a triangle, but, but not. A couple of bandits were now coming out of the bunker, their rifles raised. It's clear, no survivors. I looked around, felt shock, pain, and a total sense of confusion. I didn't want to die. And that woman just stared back at me. You picked the wrong side, boy. She kicked me again, then shot my rifle that was sitting beside me. I watched her walk away, watched her move while the pain burned through my body. I heard a sound up above, the whirling of snow. It was a small freighter, a make I didn't recognize. It was making its way down at the clearing between the former enemy position and the checkpoint that had become a mass grave. This was no ragtag band of thieves. These bandits were militia from somewhere, well-trained, well-armed, and there was a uniformity to them, despite the superficial differences. The clone commandos, though, no paint job could hide what they were. The way they moved, stood, the uniform brutality. More figures were moving out of the admin building. Prisoners, some being helped. They were a mess. I could tell from the distance that most had signs of torture, beatings, interrogation by pain. They were followed by more soldiers, remnants of Republic uniforms and the ones with the triangle-like patches. They had crates, ammunition, weapons, a loader droid hauling a few hundred pounds, enough weapons to fully arm a company or two at least. One of the prisoners was brought before the commando captain. He put his hand on their shoulder as someone handed him his helmet. I'm glad you're still alive. It was easy. These Imperials are soft. Was your mission successful? She nodded as the lander lights from the freighter illuminated the area. The prisoner turned to me as she was led onto the freighter. She wasn't looking at me or anything, but I got a good look at her face. It was the sniper, the one from months ago. She was helped aboard by the one who shot me in the leg, and they were all smiles. The lot of them, they were smiling and laughing after gunning so many of us down. I watched as they loaded crate after crate of weapons and ammo on board. And when the ship's cargo doors shut, I held my breath for the grav lifts to kick in. I stared at it afraid to move until it was above me, thinking they'd change their minds, kill me for fun. As the thrusters lit up, I scrambled through the pouches on my webbing for back to spray and some pain meds. I dosed myself, watching the big cargo haulers that had landed by the Kenyan stores pull up. They lit their main drives and burned up into orbit, probably opened their light drives the second they left the atmosphere. And I sat there, listening to the fires crackle and explosions in the distance. It was getting dark, and then I heard the sonic booms, one after another. 
followed by that classic lardy hum. Then saw some shapes come in low, distorted from the snow and smoke. But they were lardies, no doubt. They were damaged. They'd taken heat, blaster scoring all on their sides. One came in low, belly landed, and slid into the side of the admin building. Not a crash, just nudged its nose up against it. It was already beat to shit from something. Heavy grade blaster fire? I got up and hobbled toward it as best I could. My leg was killing me, and breathing was torture. The side door slid open and a bunch of mutters climbed out through the ruin. The pilot came down the ladder and shouted at me. We gotta get ready. There's a lot more wounded coming. I responded, saying that the camp was attacked, that there was no one left to help. Do what you can, trooper. We all have our orders. Just help me get these guys off of here, then we'll figure out what's next. I was confused, but did what was asked, taking one end of a grav stretcher. The guy on it had a bloody bandage wrapped around his head, that daze of meds glazing over the one eye I could see. I asked him what happened. His head rolled over, faced me, crumpled up, then he looked away again. It was a trap. The place was rigged to blow. The whole first wave got torched. I don't know what happened after that. That last fragment of hope I had, the belief that we, the Empire, were untouchable, was gone. I spun and looked into the sky to see more lardies dropping out of Sonic. Half of them smoking on approach. What the hell was happening? What happened to the mutters who flew south with the Joint Task Force? How did those raiders manage to pull off their attack on Vibus? And who was the clone with the lightsaber? That's next time on Episode 13, Somehow They Return. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. And I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.